This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 298, a conversation with Amazing Spider Talk's Dan Gavazdan. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 298. It's our conversation with Amazing Spider Talk's Dan Gavazdan. So if you've never heard of Amazing Spider Talk, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, it's an amazing podcast uh, talking about uh, the current Spider-Man comics. It originally launched as Superior Spider Talk back when Superior Spider-Man was still a thing. And uh, once it was re- the book was relaunched as Amazing Spider-Man, they relaunched their podcast to follow suit as the Amazing Spider Talk. The website that it's attached to is also Superior Spider Talk which is not confusing at all. Uh, anyways, Dan was very kind to join our show for uh, about an hour and a bit to uh, chat comics, Spider-Man, his site, and many other things. Uh, we've got a, a lot of crazy tangents along the way, um, so that'll be one thing to look forward to in just a couple minutes. Uh, before we get to that, though, I just wanted to first say that for those of you who are subscribed to our show and downloaded the last episode, episode 296, it was our Conversation with Ron Friends episode, um, we had a bit of a technical glitch that I didn't even notice until maybe about almost a week after the episode, well, maybe less, three or four days after the podcast went up, I realized that uh, the version that ended up getting uploaded was about half an hour shorter than the actual interview was meant to be. Um, so I was able to change the, uh, the file. So if you re-download the episode, you'll be able to enjoy another 30 minutes of Ron Friends. So that's, that's a lot, because, I mean, you already got an hour and a half, so we're adding an extra half an hour. That's an extra 33% Ron Friends. That's a pretty good deal for nothing. doesn't cost you anything. It's awesome. Uh, it's, it's a, it was a fun interview to have, so please go back, download that, because you don't want to miss an extra half an hour of a uh, of great talk with the uh, amazing, amazing Ron Friends. He was such an amazing interview. Um, he was really enjoyable to talk to. I mean, the fact that you know he did not stop the recording and let us keep going for two hours only is a testament to both how interesting he is and also the fact that he's just a super nice guy, and uh, if you're interested in his work, he wants to talk about it, and he's just... Again, one of the one of the better interviews I think we've had on the show so far. Uh, no offense to all the other interviews from the past, nor the ones in the future that we're likely to have. So that brings us to today's episode. So again, Dan Gavazdan is uh, the creator of the um, Superior Spider Talk website, as well as the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. Um, well, he's the co-host of that podcast, but uh, it's a great show, so let's just jump right in. Uh, I should say, as a little bit of final housekeeping, if you want to email us, you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also post in our HC Realms thread when those go live, although we've been a little remiss in getting those done as, as uh, often as we used to. Also, you can listen to us on Stitcher as well. Um, but yeah, if you and if you post uh, for the show on iTunes, we'll make sure to read it on the air as well. If you want to support the show, um, there is a link at the bottom of the description of the episode uh, or at our comicshenanigans.podbean.com uh, website to uh, help donate and fund the show. Um, it does, there is a cost to keeping uh, everything hosted, so uh, any assistance we can get is always appreciated, uh, thanks to those who have already given generously. Um, they know who they are, and thank you very much. Uh, so without further ado, it's been three minutes of preamble. Let's get right into the episode as uh, Dan Gavazdan joins Comic Shenanigans. Dan, welcome to Comic Shenanigans. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, so before we kind of talk a little bit about uh, Superior Spider Talk, Amazing Spider Talk, and uh, everything else going on, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with comics? Wow. Um, 
where to start? Um, <laughs> I guess when I was five years old, I picked up a copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 375, and it's all been downhill ever since. <laughs> uh, um, I guess it, I like all, all brands of comics. I started off with Spider-Man and Tintin and the Sunday Funnies being my favorite things, and... Um, <laughs> I guess it's just kind of expanded uh, and also contracted uh, ever since. But primarily, I'm I'm known for my love of Spider-Man, which has often earned me the name of Spider Dan in various comic book shops. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a badge of honor or or uh, uh, or something to be shameful about. Uh, I always worry that once you become that guy at the comic book store, uh, I'm not sure that that's something to be to cheer over. It could just be the time to switch to another store. <laughs> yeah, right. As soon as they know me as Spider-Dan, it's time to hit the old dusty trail. <laughs> so what was it about that Amazing Spider-Man 375 which resonated with you? Gosh, you know... Um, I'm sure you've been asked this a lot. It, well, that issue, I don't know if you know much about that issue, but... Of course. Uh, it's uh, just for listeners who aren't aware. Um, it's a, an issue where Venom has kidnapped Peter Parker's parents who at that current state in time we believed I guess if you bought into it that they were actually his parents you were five years old so you believed it yeah I didn't know better I didn't even know who Peter Parker was I just picked up an issue of the comic (laughs) um and uh and suddenly there was this man in 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 a monster suit in black that was I don't even know if I registered that they were his parents but this monstrous looking creature uh, had these two scared uh, older uh, people uh, in his clutches, and uh, Peter rushes off to save them at this abandoned amusement park. Um, I believe it's meant to be like abandoned Coney Island. Um, I think you're right. I'm not even sure that it was really that explicit that it was Coney Island. Maybe just some random ab- abandoned amusement park. But either way... Actually, they- sorry, can I cut you off for a second? It looks like uh, it's the quote-unquote Thrill World Amusement Park in Brooklyn. There you go. Thrill World. <laughs> um, I lived in Brooklyn for a number of years. I've never heard of Thrill World. And maybe for good reason. Yep. Because uh, Venom got it closed down, obviously. <laughs> well, yes, they do have a fight there and it gets lit on fire which anybody that knows venom knows it's a good way to deter him from beating the ever-loving crap out of you (laughs) um and uh yeah and then i guess like the wild pack shows up you know wow the wild pack everybody's favorite thing (laughs) and uh yeah and they kind of make their peace at the end and venom leaves spider-man alone and there's just something about – I think – I'll tell you what it was about this issue. It was Mark Bagley's artwork. Absolutely. Um, the way he draws Venom and like how his mask forms over his face and Spider-Man's torn costume and all – it was just I – th- I still to this day think it's one of the best drawn issues of the book. And um, yeah, I, I, I could definitively say I, it, was, it was the – Art over storytelling. That being said, I do enjoy uh, David Michelinie's uh, Venom stuff, which we just did an interview with him. So, you know, I got to express that to his face, not in his face, to his voice. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that's the book that got me into comics. Now, I, I'm going to jump around a little as, uh, as I think of certain things I wanted to ask. But when you close your eyes, do you still see, like, is Peter Parker... The Mark Bagley version of Peter Parker, or is it John Romita Jr. or Senior? Who is it? 
That's tough. That that is a good question. I have never thought about that. I guess it's probably uh, the Mark Bagley, Peter Parker, mostly because, and I don't express this enough on my show or on my site, but my real, like, the real thing that got me back into comics really in a really serious way is Ultimate Spider-Man. And um, I think his artwork on that book is some of the finest Peter Parker, I think even better than his Amazing Spider-Man artwork. Whoa. Um, and... Uh, and I, yeah, I think he matured as an artist, and uh, yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, either I probably see a young Peter Parker from um, Ultimate Spider-Man if I were to close my eyes. Interesting. What about uh, Mary Jane? Um, I have to say it's it's probably John Romita Senior's Mary Jane. Um, I mean that's the classic Mary Jane, right? She's like super curvy, and she's got that you know. Uh, face it, tiger entrance. I mean, who could forget her? That's when she was in her most party girl phase. True. Um, is it my favorite interpretation of the character? Probably not. I think probably Tom DeFalco and uh, uh, JMS's interpretation of the character is my favorite in terms of writing. But visuals, it's hard to not see John Romita Sr.'s Gwen and MJ in your mind. No, absolutely. Like, I actually think about this a lot, kind of who who kind of epitomizes my, you know, again, closing your eyes, this is who the character is when I think of them. And so it's a question that often comes to my mind. I think I would agree with you. My Peter Parker is Mark Bagley's, uh, just because when I kind of started reading, it was probably eight months after yours or six months after yours. It was the worst time to start reading Spider-Man was Maximum Carnage. Oh, God. I was a little bit older than you, but I had no taste. Um, it, w- <laughs> it was on the stands, and actually it was interesting. I remember the summer Maximum Carnage came out. I had a few of those issues, and I, they were my prized possessions. But I also had two issues of Marvel Tales, which reprinted the first appearance of the Sinister Syndicate. And such a completely different version of Spider-Man. And as a kid, you just kind of fill in the blanks, and you don't realize that you're reading from two completely different eras of a book. Sure. Um, my first real head, like, diving in experience for Spider-Man was I got this Marvel collection, like, the very best of Spider-Man stories, and it included a story from basically every different generation of, of the book, and I read them all right through, and, you know, what's great about, like, I think Marvel Comics in, in all these different eras, and I, I think maybe it's true today, I, I mean, not being new to them today, it's... It's hard for me to judge, but you can really pick up a lot of these issues and save for a couple of, you know, details. You can pretty much understand who the characters are and how they operate and so on. So I, I, this book had like, you know, um, Amazing Fantasy 15 and um, Amazing Spider-Man 33 and issue 350 with the lizard and issue 300 with Venom's origin and um, – Spectacular Spider-Man uh, 200. So it kind of had like a bunch of landmark issues. And, hmm. you know, I could kind of in my mind make up or fill in the blanks, you know. Oh, I guess Harry Osborn is evil now. That makes sense. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, you know, when you're a kid, you, you, you're you fairly lenient on things, I, I, I tend to think. and um, Oh, absolutely. I think people don't give kids enough credit. They always talk about how... You know, the things have to be new reader friendly. No, they don't. I started reading X-Men and Spider-Man at the worst periods possible in terms of comprehension, and I was just fine. I just filled in the blanks. 
And really, the kids. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know about you, but I know as a kid, like I really responded to artwork probably more than story hmm. at that time. So if you get a cool artist on there, you know, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. Although, you know, like I as a kid, my like when, as soon as I read Amazing Spider-Man thirty-three, which I think is some of the best art um, on the book, but I think it's probably lost on me as a kid how great that art was hmm. um, compared to like the shiny work of like Mark Bagley, you know. 90s, you know, full-on full, full on 90s muscles and everything. Um, you know, you've got this kind of, uh, like, schlubby Peter Parker, you know, uh, from Steve <laughs> Ditko. But, uh, you know, that story to me was so classic, and, and, and I, I think maybe I appreciated the story there. But, you know, artwork will take you a long way. I, I really, not to go to dominate this too much, but one of the big things I did as a kid was, buying all the Marvel um, trading cards. And that oh, was absolutely. a great way for me to really understand how the Marvel Universe fit together. I miss trading cards. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. Um, they were perfect for kids because they, they were really helpful in understanding this this vast world. I mean, that's, again, part of what always allured me was the idea that there was so much to understand, so much to know. That wasn't a put-off. That was more exciting that there was so much out there. Yeah, it was, you know, you could get the Marvel handbook in those days, but, um, you know, I was operating off of, like, an allowance where we would go to the store and every, like, other week my mother would say, you can either get a comic or a pack of cards. And that was a real, like, you know, uh, uh, Sophie's choice for me uh, because, (laughs) you know, the pack of cards, you know, could reveal a lot of new information about this universe I was dabbling into, whereas a comic might just be this very narrow uh, focus on the story, you know, that I wasn't necessarily following. So uh, early on, it was a real toss-up between the two. Wow! Before we move on, I want to—I'm going to share something that's actually humiliating, but also very funny as a story. Uh, in terms of the idea that kids kind of fill in the blanks on things. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents used to record off the TV, you know, movies for me to watch. Um, I guess they're maybe too cheap to rent. Who knows what the case was. But uh, so they would, you know, they recorded me, you know, Star Wars, uh, the original, as well as um, Return of the Jedi. But for whatever reason, they never recorded Empire Strikes Back. So for years as a kid, I had (laughs) I had no idea this film even really existed. I knew that there was episode four and episode six. And as a kid, you don't really think about it. You're just like, all right, this is where they are now. There's not a movie in the middle. That's so funny. I mean, it, it also goes in line with the whole, like, once you got a VCR, like, you would remember these movies, but also with the commercial breaks. Like, I could tell you every commercial that appears during <laughs> Star Wars, um, the one I recorded. But speaking of Star Wars, this is funny to get into embarrassing how old, I guess, we are. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have a VCR, so I remember I got for my birthday – do you remember those Talkboy recording devices from Home Alone? Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, so like I couldn't record Star Wars, so I literally recorded it onto a cassette tape with my <laughs> Talkboy, and I would listen under my pillow at night going to sleep to the movie of Star Wars. So to this day, if you play any 15 seconds of Star Wars for me, like the music or sound, I could tell you the exact moment of what's happening. In the movie, <laughs> like if you play the soundtrack for me, it's it's like a a weird like uh, uh, Rain Man skill that I have, uh, <laughs> uh, born out of desperation for more Star Wars. You know, for a moment I thought you were gonna say you could play any fifteen second clip and you fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great skill. I would definitely utilize that today. Yeah. Um, 
my my second embarrassing story was the same thing happened to me when it came to Back to the Future, which is a lot more obvious that you're missing something. <laughs> There's part one and part three. You're obviously missing something, kid. But again, kids don't think about it. They just go. What was up with your parents and skipping out on the second movie? You know, I don't know if it was just because it wasn't on TV or whatever. But I actually came up with a theory today that had never crossed my mind before, which is maybe they just thought they were too dark. Yeah, that's not that's not a bad uh, not a bad idea. Especially with like you know, if you look at Empire Strikes Back, brutal you know, very dark. It's the darkest of the trilogy, and same thing with Back to Future Two. It's kind of depressing and, and kind of kind of scary if you're a kid, maybe. So you may have blocked out on Indiana Jones because Temple of Doom is essentially kind of a throwaway. That's true. Although I don't think they a prequel. They didn't record any of those for me. They're jerks. Uh, what what jerks? <laughs> Although my dad was forgiven because years later. Uh, we had a local cinema that was doing kind of a, an anniversary of film type of thing. And so they did. he did bring me to see Raiders of the Lost Ark on the big screen. Oh, well, that's awesome. I've never had that experience. So that was something to be with the crowd. And to be honest, I think I was young enough that it might have still been the first time I saw it. Wow. So that's a unique experience considering I was, you know, I don't, I forget what year that came out, but I'm pretty sure that was the year I was born or around there. So... That to be able to actually say I was able to see it the first time in theaters is kind of cool. Also sad that it took that long, but... <laughs> we're of that awkward age where we're like, we're just old enough to not have had VCRs, but also not <laughs> old enough to have seen the movies that we love in theaters. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird to look at it that way. <laughs> it's I, I, So long as we're uh, establishing age based on your relationship to Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Back to the Future properties. Well, you know, I think everyone does, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I taught high school for five years, and I, one of the first questions I would ask my film classes was, uh, how many of you have seen Star Wars, then Indiana Jones, and Back to the Future? And I think you would be alarmed by the number of people that haven't seen them. I'd say it's more haven't seen them than have um, our yeah, upcoming generation. It is kind of – I've done some uh, volunteering in schools when I go in. Uh, I work for a bank, so we go in to kind of teach them about you know financial literacy. And we kind of ask them those types of questions because we do things about like mentors and mentees. So we go through these classic films saying, you know, can you match the mentor to the person they mentored? And they're just like, nope. And I'm like, really, guys? Come on. And some of them know the characters but don't even know the movies. Wow. Which is weird, but I guess some of them have become such a big part of pop culture that they know it, or they've seen a YouTube clip here or there, but they don't have any context for it. Well, you get those people that don't watch these things because, you know, they think it's kind of redundant. Like, they're like, oh, you know, I don't need to see it. It's already been spoiled for me in some way or another. So, jumping ahead, so you, as you said, you fell in love with comics mainly because of Mark Bagley's amazing artwork, which I can obviously attest to because that was a big thing for me as well. Then Mark Bagley brought you back into comics. What made you fall out of love with comics in the first place? Um, I don't know if it was ever like falling out of love. I think the Clone Saga definitely, um, I couldn't afford it, and I couldn't afford to keep up with it. And it wasn't interesting me, so I definitely took like a a long break from comics around that time. Um, and uh, you know, I, I had started getting interested in in film and video games, and you know, when you're a kid, things kind of waver. And um, my best friend, who I had shared my comic book habit with, and whose older brothers were the ones really buying all the comics that we read moved away 
And so I didn't have access to that world anymore or anyone to share it with. Hmm. And uh, it just kind of disappeared. And I remember seeing an ad for Ultimate Spider-Man and thinking, oh, that looks interesting. And my father cut out a, like, you know, a newspaper article about it and gave it to me. And I, and I was like, oh, they're rebooting Spider-Man. That sounds vaguely interesting. And, um, yeah, uh, it, was, it was a vague interest around that time. Are you saying that for some reason you didn't clip out a clipping when it said Spider-Man Chapter 1 is happening? <laughs> no, I actually didn't even know it was happening. Um, that's how far away from it I had drifted. Um, I'm envious of you for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's weird because, um, and I think Mark and I will cover it on our show at some point. We'll probably talk Clone Saga in more detail, but I really have a very loose connection and understanding of the goings-on of the Clone Saga, mainly because I just didn't follow it as it was happening so if there was an era of spider-man i knew the least or i know the least it's the clone saga because i you know i just didn't follow it while it was going on and and didn't really bother to really get back into it around you know and really all get into it all that deeply have you ever uh, read the life of riley archives no i have not i don't know about this oh it's um it's from years ago now but this guy I forget his name, and I'm horribly remiss, but uh, if you search it online, you can find the Life of Riley archives, and it's this guy who was a big fan of the Clone Saga. He went and basically did a kind of a behind-the-music type of... He, he would recap what was happening in the comic, and then he would have uh, input from Glenn Greenberg, who was one of the assistant editors during the Clone Saga, and he was kind of, with each kind of month, kind of saying, this is what was going on behind the scenes, and it's a fascinating look at how the sausage is made, um, they kept saying for years that they were going to put it together in this book, but unfortunately it never materialized because I've always thought it's it's required reading to even ever go to the Clone Saga just to kind of see what was really going on and why certain things happened. Wow, I'm going to definitely check that out. I will say that right now on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, we're running a feature called Clone Saga Callback. Which I'm really enjoying, uh, by the way. Oh, great. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, where uh, I guess every month... Mark writes up a new piece about the next arc of the Clone Saga, and there's a little bit behind the scenes, but nothing to the de- level of detail that um, that you're describing. So that, that's really exciting to me. Um, I'm gonna have to definitely look at that. Uh, uh, it's long. Uh, it's like 36. Uh, I think they did 36 installments of it. Like it's it's the entire thing. Wow. Well, and not to get too much into uh, like the, how the sausage is being made, but. It, Making a book is actually a project that Mark and I had been discussing, um, and we got started on a little while ago and kind of took a break on, but it's something that we plan on uh, doing in the future, cataloging the full history of the behind-the-scenes and uh, and stories of our favorite character, Spider-Man. So I'm saying this, 10 years from now, you might see this book. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's definitely a project that our site is definitely uh, fueling into and um, – so keep keep an eye out for our announcements about developments of books and and purchase, purchasable written content from our site. Um, it's, we're, it's something we're really looking forward to, with more de- bringing more details out in a, in a few uh, in several months. I think that's pretty exciting. Now, speaking of your site, I mean, for fans of the show who haven't listened to your show yet, uh, first of all, where did your website kind of come from? What inspired you to put together this website? Yeah, sure. It's kind of uh, – I'll try to make this con- as condensed of a story as I can. But, um, you know, I got back into Spider-Man comics and, and uh, I worked at a couple comic book shops. I worked at Midtown Comics for a little while. Um, 
Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's like the biggest comic book shop, like probably in the world, um, in the middle of New York City. Um, and uh, I just got this bug and uh, decided my mother as a child got rid of all my comics as well. I didn't mention that. Uh, while I was away at summer camp, everybody's kind of got one of those stories, but usually she literally the, got rid of all of them. Usually, the people with those stories were, you know, born in the forties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is in the middle of the nineties during comic, you know, industry buzz. You know, everybody collecting things, and um, that's horrifying. I got home from summer camp, and to this day, she claims they're in the attic. But let me tell you, <laughs> no one has searched an attic more thoroughly than me. Um, <laughs> So they don't exist, despite what she says. And uh, maybe they will show up someday, like, in some secret compartment as I'm, my kids are Goonies-style digging through my parents' house or something like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, And I'll have stumbled upon a fortune. But, uh, yeah, so I decided to start collecting again. Um, and I, I have assembled a full collection of Amazing Spider-Man at this point. Which is incredible. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. Um, my wallet, maybe less so. Um, <laughs> I did it on a teacher's salary, which is not great. Uh, although you're from Canada, where teachers are paid a considerable deal more. Oh, yeah. Teachers um, have a sweet gig in, in uh, Canada. They get a, a good wage, an excellent pension. Like, they're set. Yes. Well, Canada is doing some things right. Uh, <laughs> a number of things right that I wish were true in the States. Although I can't complain because I didn't have a teaching certificate. I was teaching in a private school um, and teaching film and photography and digital arts, which are my, my real passion. Um, so it was a pretty great gig. But anyway, so I bought all these Spider-Man comics. Um, and I had a, you know, if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that. But getting to answer your question... I began reading um, my co-host of my podcast, Mark Mark's site, um, Chasing Amazing, um, which chronicled his collection of every issue of this book. And we were kind of chasing down our final issues uh, in the same time frame as each, as each other. Um, and I had done all these movie podcasts, and I reached out to him and you know said, would you be interested? I've been reading your site. I really love your voice. And I also collect these comics. Would you be interested in maybe recording a podcast um, about um, Spider-Man with me? And he said, I don't really know if I have the time or interest in doing something like that. And I was like, okay. Um, and that was kind of that. And uh, I kept listening to Spider-Man podcasts. I won't say which ones. Um, and uh, reading Spider-Man content on the internet. And it was in the middle of Superior Spider-Man where um, – uh, I had noticed that there was kind of this antagonism. I mean, it wasn't difficult to notice, but a really sharp antagonism between comic book fans and comic book creators, specifically in the Spider-Man realm post One More Day, where people were really angry at them, and maybe rightfully so, but it was also being reflected back by the creators onto the fans with a kind of like, maybe not direct antagonism, but a kind of like... Um, not taking people's complaints seriously, even if they were uh, real complaints surrounded by a minefield of like irrational um, comic book conversation. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Absolutely. Sadly, it does. Sadly, it does. Yeah, I think 
there's a, a huge majority of comic book fans that are really intelligent, rational people that are willing to give creators the benefit of the doubt and really are just interested in good writing um, and don't fly into histrionics um, at you know every drop of, of the hat. And, and sometimes it's 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 do, it's warranted to be upset with directions books go and and the way that comic book creators treat the fans and in this case i said you know what there's a real disconnect here you know um something needs to be done the the tenor of conversation on the internet needs to change and it can only change it needs to be changed from both ends but i'm going to do my part from my end just be change that conversation so i reapproached mark and said look i really want to be different than all these other places that i've been not saying that there aren't good sites for comic book criticism and writing and and fan podcasting um but i really wanted to be you know at least in the world of spider-man a positive voice um so we said let's just do an episode and see how it goes you know, so we did this episode, and we were both, I think, very pleased with the result. And it turned out that like a number of Marvel's editors and a ton of fans list- read Mark's site and gave a listen to our podcast. And overnight, we were far more successful than I had ever been with any of my podcasting ventures. <laughs> so thank you, Mark. Um, and uh, it just kind of took off from there. And eventually, I said, you know what? This is really becoming such a big part of my life. I want to really follow through on my vision. Um, for creating a Spider-Man site that's not running rumors every other second um, of, of, that are unsubstantiated, not running news about the podcast or no, news about the comics that is laced with antagonism, um, or not even laced, like layered with antagonism, <laughs> and not like hosting a podcast that's just a bunch of people that hate the comic coming around to discuss it. Um, and so I created SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, then named after the podcast, um, which has created some kind of weird brand uh, confusion. Uh, confusion, yeah. You can speak to that maybe more than I can um, when we relaunched the podcast as Amazing Spider Talk. But yeah, that's a very, very long story, and there's far more details to it. Um, but a lot of it was born out of me wanting to create a safe place for fans that, you know, one of the things I'm most proud about at the site is um, our spy spy diversity column, um, which is all about diversity in comics, particularly focused on Spider-Man fandom, um, you know, looking to bring women into the conversation. And uh, we recently put up an article about diverse, uh, uh, about um, disability um, in, in comics and, um, we had a very controversial piece about casting a black actor as uh, Spider-Man um, when they were discussing that. That kind of challenged other Spider-Man um, fan sites. Um, but, you know, I, I want to be a really inclusive uh, a, a space for, for fans of Spider-Man and really just comics in general. I do agree with you that there is a lot of negativity and I've and that's something I've, I've tried to do on comic shenanigans as well is not to accentuate I mean obviously there's going to be some negatives and you're not always going to like everything but yeah the, the histrionics that people can be prone to is getting a little out of hand and the fact that the internet half the time feels like this giant um, wasteland of upset people just getting angry at each other is depressing so I, I, I just never wanted to be like that I don't think it makes people look forward to coming to your site and you know I'm not all about like 
hits and stuff like that. But like, what's the point of running a site if you're just going to be angry all the time? Like, mm-hmm. you have to find some joy in it. And you know, I have not liked Spider-Man comics for a little while now. I like currently where where the book is at in this Renew Your Vows story arc, but I haven't been happy with Dan Slott's run for maybe a year and a half. But I still find you know positive things to look for and. Um, maybe some would criticize me for being a shill to Marvel um, in that I'm giving them free advertising, but I, I really don't think that's the case because I, you know, I will be very critical and I have been very critical of of the book and the direction that it was headed for a while. Um, but you got to do it with a smile on your face, I think. True. I think if anyone thinks that you're a shill for Marvel, they probably haven't actually listened to your show. <laughs> Because, as you said, like you guys aren't shy about it. You you love the character, and you're just talking about what you like about the character and what you don't like, and you're honest about it. And I think that's what people respond to is, it just in general and on your show, is that you guys ha- have this genuine love. You back it up with the fact that you guys obviously cared enough to buy you know all 700 issues, and for you, plus annuals, correct? Yes, that's a big argument on our show is that I consider the annuals part of the collection. And Mark does not. And it really, it really is a real big. We kind of joke about it on the show, but and I, I think we're we're really just joking about it because Mark and I have a great, very not combative relationship. Um, but if annuals count, that means I finished my collection first. But if they <laughs> don't count, then that means Mark finished his collection first. Um, so really, this is a far more loaded question than than uh, maybe we let on. <laughs> To be honest, I think annuals should count, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, if, if annuals didn't count, Spider-Man didn't get married, you know, or, or you didn't read that story. And Mark makes a good point that a lot of the annuals are, like, really bad reprints of older stories in certain times. But, um, you know... They're not all like that, though. They're not all like that, yeah. Sometimes the annuals count. Absolutely. Now, um, of this is a totally random question that just kind of came across my head, so hopefully, hopefully you don't mind. Um, of the kind of other side books that weren't Amazing Spider-Man, which has been your favorite historically? Because there's a lot of other side books that, that he's had. Yeah, that's tough. Um, it's tough, and yeah, I mean, obviously there's some some that have lasted long and longer than others. Obviously, Spectacular Spider-Man was the longest running. Uh, Webb was the sad youngest brother. <laughs> I mean, would it be would it be terrible for me to say Superior Foes as Spider-Man? Uh... I wouldn't. I would not allow it. That's a that's a non-answer. Although that is a great, great book. Absolutely, like, I'm excited that they're actually putting it out in omnibus format. Yeah, me too. Um, I might even consider rebuying it just so I can pass it around to people. Um, yeah, I know that's a cheap out answer because Spider-Man is only in like a page of that book. Um, yeah, see here, books that it prominently features. But I mean, I think it's got to be spectacular um, because it has the most important stories that have. Um, uh, factored in, you know, uh, uh, to the book over the generations, whether it be the first volume of the book mm-hmm. or the second volume of the book. Um, I don't know. Does anyone really care about the second volume of the book? Yeah, um, you know, I think there are people that that care about it. Um, I mean, you get a lot of great stories. Um, I'm forgetting one of our guests right now, and uh, forgive me on this because I, I'm totally having a mind. Bl- it's very hot here in LA, and I don't have AC. So oh. I think I'm losing some of my uh, smarts here. But, um, you know, we covered recently uh, on the show uh, this episode, Here There Be Monsters. That's right, uh, yeah. And, 
and I'm looking I'm looking at it right now to find uh, the author uh, of that book. Ah, yes, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, that's Paul Jenkins. I was going to say Jen- it had to be. Paul Jenkins' run on Spectacular Spider-Man in Volume Two, I think, is quite spectacular. Did, did not make a pun. I did not intend that. Um, no one believes yeah, you. I mean, that book has got, you know, uh, Sal Buscema doing the artwork alongside Peter David and and um, JMD for a while. I mean, it's got the great, you know, Spectacular 200. It's the Harry Osborn story of all Harry Osborn stories. There's a lot of times where that book is better than Amazing Spider-Man. Um, so I think it has to be that book. Um, Probably. Now, if you had to look at it as like a, a concentration of good stories to amount of issues published, though, would it still kind of be there? Yeah, I mean, what, what, I mean, are you thinking of a different series that you think is, uh, um, is uh, comparable? I'm trying to think of one. You know, I, I, I think I just want to be contrary to you at the moment. <laughs> so what are you going to say? Um... No, to be honest, it probably is spectacular. That's the that's the horrible part. It can't. Be, I don't think it could possibly be web. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, does ultimate count? Because it, you know, if we're talking about quality. I would say ultimate has got the most quality of any of the series. That's yeah. I, I was thinking more. I guess prime Peter Parker or six one six. But that's a good sure. point because ultimate. Ultimate's pretty damn good. Although I remember, I think I dropped it after Ultimatum just because it killed the book for me. Yeah, well, you would not be alone. Um, in, in leaving the Ultimate Universe behind after Ultimatum. I, I, I remember actually tr- own every single issue ever published on the Ultimate line. Really? Except for Ultimatum. Oh. I've never read it. I've <laughs> never read it. You know, um, back when I used to write comic reviews, I remember that I wrote a thing about one of the issues of Ultimatum. And I was saying that it wasn't very good. The writing was like kind of okay. And that the art was you know really good by David Finch, but also kind of hideous because of the level of detail. I can't remember the exact quote. Anyways, I remember I looked at the hardcover and my name is on it. And so I'm te- technically I publicly supported that book, even though I hate it, because I wrote one line of dialogue saying that it had really good artwork. And now if you look up that hardcover... I'm I'm totally shilling out that book, <laughs> which is the only time I've ever uh, been blurbed on a hardcover where where I actively kind of makes me nauseated that my name's on it. There's a lot of a bunch of stuff that I ended up having my name on, like uh, Spider-Man Noir. Um, I think Wolverine Noir. I think they quoted me twice in the hardcover because they couldn't get enough of my writing. Um, wow. And so there's a bunch of stuff that I have my name on, and I'm very proud of most of it, except for Ultimatum. <laughs> I've never been blurbed, so, uh, but I do appear in, uh, three issues of Amazing Spider-Man, uh, two of them with my picture. Really? So, that's my, like, uh, claim to fame, and two of them on the same publishing day. Oh, really? Wow. Which, uh, which comic? Um, well, uh, they're, one of, the first one that I appeared in is, um, in, uh, the Shed storyline. Oh, really? Um. And I'm in the back there. And on the same day, they released the annual, which I'm in the back of there, too. And I wrote these two letters. One of them was to say how great I thought the Rhino story was um, from that era. Um, I'm not sure if you remember. We covered it on the podcast recently. Absolutely. It was part of your Essential series. Right. It's one of my favorite Spider-Man comics that there is. Um, And, uh, you know, I wrote in a letter just – it was the first letter I'd ever written in. And it got published. And then I saw that Steve Wacker on Twitter was like asking for um, letters being to be written in old style, you know, like writing as if it was the 60s. 
because it was like a throwback annual to the first time Spider-Man met Captain America. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I opened up my old Spider-Man comics and basically like just wrote one in the style of those letters and sent it in and it got published. And, you know, they were released on the same day, so I opened it up in the shop. I was like, oh, hey, my letter's in the back of this one. And then I opened the other one just to check. And I was like, hey, my letter's in the back of this one too. And uh, uh, all the people in the shop were like, that's crazy. Can you sign my comic? And I was like, (laughs) I don't really feel comfortable doing that, but if you really want me to, okay. That's hilarious. I I wrote to Steve Wacker about it, and he was like, I didn't realize, and that's a mistake, and uh, it'll never happen again. And (laughs) I don't think it has ever happened that someone has had two letters in Spider-Man comics published on the same day. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so that's my weird non-claim to fame fame <laughs> i remember um i was when i was at uh, the universal islands of adventure in the comic book portion i was at the, the store there and i picked up um just by chance i was looking around i was like i don't know if i'm gonna buy anything and they had a copy of the hardcover of mythos um which is you know, some great one shots and i remember looking at it being man this is really good and i turned it over and i was reading you know all the quotes about it i was like that looks that sounds really familiar and i realized i was reading myself and so I went up to the guy. It was this beaten-up copy. I'm like, is there any way you could have it just knock off a bit of the price for me? My name's right on the back. He's like, I can't help you. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I'm right there. What are the chances? <laughs> it, it couldn't you're, be someone well, you're else. You're the guy that goes to every shop just like walking in and being like, my name's on the back. Come on, give me a deal. <laughs> and, uh, and just trying to get a deal so you can sell them somewhere else. <laughs> uh, if only I could be that lame. It's like the guy that goes to restaurants and is like, it's my birthday every day of the week. <laughs> um, actually, you know what? I just thought of something as we were talking about um, the, the other Spider books that might be you know, worthy of being some of the most solid runs or solid other books. It's a short run, but I think Untold, Untold Tales of Spider-Man might work for me. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. That's, that's great too, yeah. They, uh, they released that one in an omnibus a few years ago, and so I have that on my shelf and it's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you, you you can pick and choose. That one doesn't come readily to mind because, I, you know, it is canon, yet in many ways it feels like it's not. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't spring regular uh, regularly to mind. And I actually haven't read them since they were initially released. Oh, wow. So it's something that I need to give. It's something I've been meaning to give a, a reread. Same with, like, Spider-Man 2099. I haven't read those since they were re- initially released. And... Uh, I just got to go and dust off the uh, the old copies of those books that I have. I don't know if those are going to uh, hold up as well as Spider-Girl, or, or sorry, Untold Tales of Spider-Man or something like that, though, because they feel pretty dated. Yeah, I'm sure they will, but you never know. It's a good story is a good story. Absolutely. Uh, we kind of got off track of comics again, and then back on. <laughs> hey, you know, why, why not? This is how these things go. Conversational podcasting. Absolutely, my uh, one of my one of my regular guests in the show. He said that uh, instead of calling it comic shenanigans, I should have just called it comic tangents. That's <laughs> a lot more a lot more accurate. But if only I could go back in time and change it. It was my wife who actually came up with the name for the show. Oh yes, well shenanigans are fun. You know, it gives it like a light air. That's the idea. And no one's going to come here thinking we're talking like. Uh, the history of of things in in raw detail, right? You know? No, they're not. They're not going to expect a dissertation on the Watchmen. Sometimes my podcast, I, I worry that we're providing a dissertation on Spider Man. So, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm sure people like that, but I, I wonder maybe if we could be a little more tangential. But then Mark and I would definitely talk 
for like ten hours. I can imagine. I um, I remember in university, I wrote my one of the one of the courses ever since the first year of university. I always wanted to take this fourth year course in po- North American popular culture, and I always knew I was going to write an essay about Spider Man. That was always a foregone conclusion. And I remember writing this essay. It was a lot longer than it needed to be, but I was just really invested and interested. And I remember uh, the guy did not give me that as good a mark as I think I deserved. And he also, I spent way too long proving how old Peter Parker was at the time, which was sad. Because <laughs> I was trying to like go through, like I was reading like tons of comics just to kind of prove like, all right, so based on this kind of evidence, this is how old Peter Parker is. And he's like, um, so why did you do this? And I'm like, why not? It's important. It probably wasn't. <laughs> I don't even know that I can mount a, st- a good argument about how old Peter Parker is. I mean, although I think most of the evidence that would have supported it was kind of taken away by a brand new day. The sliding timeline of, I mean, really the real question is how old is a Normie Osborne? Yeah. That's a very That's good... something that will always perplex me. Well, him and, I mean, like, at least Franklin Richards has an out because he de-ages himself every few years, so. Yeah, that is interesting. I actually just recently finished the Hickman run of Fantastic Four, and uh, what a crazy run. Oh, absolutely. Hickman's brain is operating um, in a way that few others, I think, can. Uh, I, I read stuff and I go, did I get this? Do I need to read this again? Oh, absolutely. Half the time it feels like he missed something. Not as much on his FF, but more on his Avengers. But even on oh, yeah. his FF, oh, it was it was an amazing run. But I do feel like the last few issues, once he kind of wrapped up his big story, kind of felt rudderless because he, cause he finished. Yeah, right. <laughs> like he had this giant epic and then he was done the story and he, he kind of kept on until AVX kind of ended everything he was doing. So... It was just kind of weird to to kind of read that now, but it's all part of one giant story that he's been telling for years. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Well, speaking to his Avengers comics, not to get too crazy, but like my favorite thing about those comics was using the AR app to like listen to the synopsis of the previous issue and then like judge like, okay, this is what I think I know. Let me listen to this and compare it to what I was supposed to get out of this. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I, I've never really been big on the air. I can never seem to kind of get it working right, so I just kind of ignore it half the time. I'll have to go back. Yeah, well, I use it, like, digitally. It seems to work better. And if you, like, hold your iPhone up to your iPad, which kind of feels like I'm, like, entering into Inception in some way. <laughs> um, and uh, and that seems to work for me. But also, like, the Marvel uh, Unlimited app seems to carry, well, some of the AR content, typically the roundups. So that was helpful. But, um, yeah, uh, which is amazing because I'm loving his Secret Wars. Uh, unlike I've loved a comic book in a very long time, and I'm finding it very easy to follow. So, like, I'm wondering if he's tailoring back his confusion for the mass audience that is picking up Secret Wars. That's an interesting, interesting idea. I think it's more like the biggest, like, I don't know, if you read all of his Avengers and New Avengers yet? Yes, I have, yeah. All right, so, like, it was pretty confusing, but right at, right at the kind of the end, he kind of tied it all together, so it kind of made sense. Like, if you go back and read it all, you're like, okay, well, now everything makes sense as to how it got to that point, whereas, you know, and in Secret Wars, everything's kind of been figured out for the most part. Yeah, yeah. It's like the weird, like, denouement of the story. Yeah, like... the, om- the giant event. Yeah, the climax has kind of already happened. Yeah, I mean, if you call the universe's ending the climax, which I guess maybe you could, 
but it's handled as such a like, well, the Ultimate Universe is gone. Yeah, although, have you been reading Ultimate End? I wish I wasn't. I don't understand it, because like it just, it feels like, it, it, does he get the same, like, does he understand what's going on in Secret War? It feels like Bendis was, like, given a completely different synopsis of what Secret Wars was, and he's just kind of operating on his own. And it's advertised like it's the I mean the title Ultimate End, mm-hmm. but it's not the Ultimate Universe. Like and it has almost nothing to do with the Ultimate Universe. No, except for some of the characters kind of look like it. <laughs> yeah, it's so confusing. I, I can't. And I think I like I, I get it, but like the real question is like, why care about this? And my our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin, um, has kind of been discussing those issues. They discuss Ultimate Comics and Spider Gwen. Um, and they've been talking about Ultimate End because it's really like the only book going right now. Mm. And uh, their podcast just basically is them all collectively shrugging um, and getting frustrated with Bendis. And I think they've decided that, that book is an act of self-sabotage. <laughs> How so? Like Bendis is like giving like his final middle finger to editorial that has spent so much time screwing up his comics in the ultimate universe Hmm. that he's like you know what fine i'll end it and just like gives this passive aggressive bad ending interesting Um, i don't think that that's what's actually happening but like i could see the argument for that i mean like every step of the way he's telling a great story in ultimate spider-man and then ultimatum happens and then you know like I mean, all these big editorial pushes like have really derailed the story that he's tried to tell in those books. Yeah, I guess you're right. I I, uh, I recently on another episode of the show, I was talking about how I felt about Bendis as a writer because I used to really, really love his stuff, and I think I uh, I likened his performance to um, actually a current Blue, uh, Toronto Blue Jays pitcher. Uh, R.A. Dickey, who at times has won a Cy Young Award, and sometimes is like so brilliantly on point, you can't even imagine he would ever pitch a bad game. And sometimes you're just putting your hand in your in your hand, sorry, head in your hands. You can't even imagine that they let this guy hold a ball. And I yeah. <laughs> and I feel like at times, you know, Bendis is is my R.A. Dickey of comics. Like there's sometimes where I can't imagine not reading a comic he's writing because it's so brilliant. Like I read his Daredevil, his Ultimate Spider-Man, like all this stuff, and then I read these other comics and I'm like, oh my god, who is this guy? I think Bendis has a real hard time phoning it in, but he takes on too many assignments. Hmm. So like he can't like come up with a quick passable story. Like you can really tell what, what story he cares about writing at any particular given time. That's true. Actually, uh, this reminds me of something. I uh, recently, or a couple months ago, had an interview with uh, Mike Diodato Jr., and he was talking about his career in comics both in the 90s and the 2000s, and he said his downfall in the 90s was that he people liked his work, so they would ask him to work on stuff, and he would say, sure. And he said that to everybody. Uh, so he was stretched so thin and doing so much, so much stuff that it was kind of crappy work, and eventually he kind of found himself out of the business because no one wanted to work with him anymore uh, because he had taken on too much. He was getting delayed and he hadn't focused on his craft. He was just too busy trying to you know, make other people happy and not focusing on why he loved comics in the first place. And so at times you can almost see that with Bendis' writing. Yeah, and to take this back to Spider-Man, I mean, I think it's no mistake that uh, Dan Slott's excellent Silver Surfer comic came out right as Spider-Man kind of took a nosedive in terms of quality, I think. Hmm. Um, and now that Silver Surfer is not happening through Secret Wars, 
his Renew Your Vows story in Spider-Man is excellent. Um, at least I think so. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, is, you know, everybody works at a different speed. Maybe Dan Slott is not the kind of guy who can be juggling this many comics at the same time. Um, it's possible. It, yeah. I mean, I, I were you surprised that we didn't have a new writer on Amazing Spider-Man going into the all-new, all-different? Not really. Yes and no. Because there was kind of a sense, like, on Twitter, if you follow Dan Slott, and, like, um, maybe not story-wise, but there just sen- seemed to be a sense of, like, okay, it's time for him to move on. And the way that they were advertising Renew Your Vows as being, like, the final Spider-Man story and things like that made me think, okay, Dan Slott is getting a last hurrah to kind of tell the one story he wanted to tell, you know, in, in a you know, addressing the marriage and them having a child is something that no one really has been able to do for a long time on the book. So I thought, okay, maybe this is his goodbye story. He's going to give us one big grand slam before closing the door. But at the same time, issue 18 of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 3 was so much like the, the cliffhanger was just kind of like okay to be continued and um you know it just seemed like the inevitable thing that he would stay on um uh so no i wasn't that surprised but also i was kind of like i actually was at san diego comic-con and asked marvel this in their big panel uh like about their methods for um deciding when an artist uh, and, and a writer were, were kept on the book and when they weren't because they are, they're advertising all new, all different. And this, in the Spider-Man line of all the different Spider-Comics, every single creative team is the same. <laughs> um, except, you know, Sarah Pacelli is back on Ultimate Spider-Man or Spider-Man, um, you know, except that they have radically different stories now. Mm-hmm. And so I asked them, when, when, in, when do you think it's time to change the story versus change the creative team? Because Dan Slott, and I, I'm not to pick on Dan Slott, but he's been on the book for over five years now. It's a he's long time. More comics, I think, than he broke Stan Lee's record, I think, on on the comics, or he's just about to. Um, you know, at what point do we? You know, even if you loved Dan Slott's writing on the book, you know, eventually a voice gets a little tired. Um, you know, you you want to read a different voice on the book. Um, you know, I went to another Marvel panel, and um, one of the writers there expressed that Dan Slott had a stranglehold on Spider-Man, and I don't think that's a mistake. You know, in choice of words, you know, he's not going to let go. But to what extent is he choking? You know, this mm-hmm. series. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm enjoying his, his, his Spider-Man comics. At, you know, at this exact moment. Um, but even I would say, like, it would be nice to get a new voice in, you know, in, in the mix. Are you worried about the new direction? I don't. I, I can't remember if I heard you talk about it in your podcast or not. But I mean, the new direction. It's interesting that they took away the marriage because it took away him being more of a relatable guy. Yet him basically becoming Iron Man makes him relatable. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's an, day, that's an easy gotta thing. Get, we got to get over the reasoning about one more day it's just gotta accept it you know oh, it I'm, is what it is absolutely and i'm i've long like i've i've always thought that brand new day had a lot of great stories and so as much as it was 
you know, too bad of what we had to go through to get there. I loved having, you know, Amazing Spider-Man three times a month. Um, I loved it too. It felt like I was watching a TV show, like it was a weekly, almost a weekly experience. And if I didn't like it, guess what? It's, it's going to be over by next month. It was, yeah. you know, quick, tiny arcs, and they, you had three issues a month, and boom, boom, boom. You had rotating staff. You had. It felt like they were operating it like a TV show, and it felt as successful as a good TV show. It was probably one of my favorite times, you know, actively reading new comics coming out, particularly Spider-Man. It was just, you never knew what you were going to get. And it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I don't want to prejudge it before I read it, you know. The premise is interesting to me. Um, I don't know that it necessarily makes sense, considering that I thought that the resolution to this last arc was that Peter Parker was not fit to run the yeah. industry. <laughs> um, and it sounds like this new storyline, they've said in several interviews that he's going to be reflecting on superior spider-man and maybe implementing some of Otto's um decisions um i don't know why he would do that suddenly after ignoring it for 18 issues um yeah which is one of my big criticisms of the relaunch of the book post superior um so i don't know i mean i, I want i want to wait and see it and I, you know I, i've always said that you know what makes these characters beyond being relatable what makes them fun to read is change you know, is, you know, getting a new, you know, one of my favorite comics that I read is Invincible. Uh, do you read Invincible? I've never really read it, to be honest. I know well, of I, it. I highly recommend it because it's almost, it's basically uh, Kirkman's um, uh, uh, spoof of, of Marvel and DC, um, but also an operating great comic book. But every five issues, the, the entire status quo changes for the character. And I never know what I'm going to get, and it's always exciting. And um, you know, my least favorite time of reading like of Spider-Man comics, even even over the Clone Saga, is like the like 150 to 200 issues where it's just kind of like villain of the month, lame villains like Tarantula and the Kangaroo, and um, you know, like uh, Mirage. These kind of forgettable villains. I'm sorry, and, uh, are you sure you haven't read Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2? <laughs> yes, you're right. I have read Amazing Spider-Man Volume <laughs> 2. It is, it is awful, but it's over quickly. I guess, well, it didn't feel like it that at the time. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. I, I, I agree with you. Um, uh, and all the dangling pro- plot threads that were never concluded there that no one ever cares to talk about. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a terrible, terrible era, and 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 often forgotten by me because it just kind of was operating during Marvel's bankruptcy and when I wasn't reading. True. Um, Although the, I started reading again with Straczynski. There uh, was a couple good issues in there, but they were few and far between. But in the ancillary titles, you got you know some really great storytelling. Uh, you know, Jenkins was operating then at the peak of his. Uh, creative talents oh absolutely his amazing spider-man i think actually once straczynski jms came on board amazing spider-man i feel jenkins spider-man felt a little less relevant but uh but up until you know issue 30 i think yeah it was it was such a solid counterpoint to whatever direct was happening in amazing just because amazing was full of weird stories with like the squid and it was just it was really weird there was like i think a whole episode where or issue where spider-man's played by i think like just bad luck and like there's a black cat and it's just it's terrible you mean you don't love the carnage silver Surfer story 
Oh, that's much earlier. That's volume one still. And oh, I, crap, you're right. It is. And that's that's Tom DeFalco and uh, Joe Bennett. And I actually have a soft spot for that because I was maybe 14, 15 years old, and I, I enjoyed that. You're like, this is awesome. Well, at the time, Carnage is a huge thing. This is kind of cool and different. Looking back now, yeah, not the greatest story. But um, actually from issue 419 is when I actually started buying Amazing Spider-Man on, on the regular. I bought it... You know, on and ongoing for the maybe three or four years before that, but it was issue 419 right after the Clone Saga where I actually started uh, regularly buying it. Haven't stopped oh, and haven't stopped since. So when I kind of got in, I, I think someone got it for me actually because I was I had like a concussion. They were bringing it to me in the hospital, and then every issue after that, I bought myself. And you know, I I was that was in the era of uh, I don't know if it's Steve Scrooge or Scroce or. I don't know how you pronounce it, but he was the artist on the book, and then Joe Bennett, sure. and it was written by Tom DeFalco. So that's kind of my my original era. So as much as some of that's not good, I'm always going to have a really soft spot for it, especially Identity Crisis and uh, Spider Hunt. That was my kind of stuff. Oh, are you one of those Identity Crisis guys? Uh, yeah, sadly, yes. There is a fervent fan base for Identity Crisis that... It doesn't baffle me, but it, it amazes me how vocal these people are. I guess uh, you can probably count me among their number. When it, they released it in trade paperback a few years ago, and I was like, are, are, is this seriously happening? I'm actually going to be able to have this on my bookshelf. Uh, so now I do. The only thing that they haven't published that I thought they would have by now, only because it was a cult hit at the time, was the uh, short-lived Slingers book. Sure. Uh, which I don't know if you've read that. I ha- I have it, but I ha- I know all about it. It's it's interesting. I don't know if I c- I don't know if I ever want to go back and read it because, again, I it came out when I was pr- I think I was like fourteen or fifteen years old. It hit me so hard. It was so good, but I feel like it's probably because I was fifteen years old. <laughs> we're gonna have to have you on the show for uh, for one like what when we're done our essentials to talk about whatever series we tackle next, be it the Clone Saga or obscure '90s Spider-Man comics. <laughs> Because apparently that's just my jam, man. Like, it is. I mean, look, there's a whole group of people. I, like, bowed out of that game and uh, and came back when it was over, you know. And, and I've read, you know, everything printed and amazing. And, and most of – I've read the whole Clone Saga through. Um, but, like, there are people that, like, that was their jam, you know. Well, it, it, a lot of it comes down to nostalgia too, right? If that's your entry point, you're always going to have a, a soft spot. Like uh, Spider-Man The Lost Years will always be one of my favorite miniseries. Well, uh, for good reason. That's a great miniseries. It's a great book, but I mean, it's it's right square during that weird period, right? But I don't know if I've ever enjoyed Ramita's artwork more. There's just something about it there. It's so rough and scratchy. Yeah, well, which, to be honest, is kind of his style, but... There's something I think it also was the paper it was originally published on was extra glossy. They put sure. they put a lot of extra effort into that. I mean the Clone Saga alone, they put it out into what, like eleven trade paperbacks, so I own all of those proudly. Oh wow, that's intense. I own the first three. Only three, eh? Well then Marvel Unlimited, I signed up for that and ah. now I just read it there. What will always make me sad, and this is how you know I'm a comic book fan who's obsessive-compulsive a little, is that I think it's the second or third volume of the Complete Clone Saga epics where the spine color changes. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. So sure. I have all of them all like all together, and one of them stands out because they change the color of the spine in like the second or third volume, and it will always bother me. And I know it's stupid, but I'm obsessive-compulsive, and it looks terrible. We we. It, Whatever Audi 
audience is still hanging around for this discussion of spine color. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, th- the same thing happened in Ultimate Spider-Man, where they would alternate red, blue, red, blue, red, blue. And then they did, like, two reds in a row. Oh. And I was like, come on, man! Yeah. I'm, I notice that a lot now that I have, like, enough trades in my bookshelf to notice these things, where they would change, like, either the Marvel logo on some, or they would, like, invert the colors. Uh, on some of the Jonathan Hickman FF uh, issues, they actually had a black and white Marvel border, which is different. They, it's usually always red and white. Um, and then, obviously, with Marvel Now, all the Marvel Now ones and all-new Marvel Now had the little Marvel... Uh, um, logo in the upper corner, which actually looks nice when you put them all together. But when you have everything kind of mixed, it looks like crap. Because <laughs> you try to have things, you know, sorted by character and alphabetical where you can, and and then it just looks like a mess. And I thought about it one time. I I should take everything out and just put it by by logo so everything looked nice. But I'm like, but I'll never know where to find stuff. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, you know, I I've kind of for like you know, I still have my collection, obviously. But um, I've pretty much given away all of my trades, except for, like, key books, like, you know, some of the, like, standalone graphic novels that I really enjoy, um, purely because I can read them all on digitally, and I have them all in single issues and stuff now. Yeah. So I've basically given them away to, you know, kids that I taught that are getting into comics, and I'm like, you know what, here's the rule. You can have these, so long as when you're done with them, you pass them on to someone else. Um just because I'm not going to read them, I can if I can read them digitally. It's just easier for me that way. No, that's true. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's digital is such an easier way to read. Although it is a little sad sometimes not hold you know the comics in your hand. Yeah, I, I think if I um if I didn't have my site and podcast, I would definitely just be buying them digital. Just because it, or my collection, I would be buying them digitally because. It's just so much easier. The, the the space in your in your apartment that it takes up, you know, um, it gets to be considerable at a certain point. Absolutely. No, I think I've got maybe six, seven thousand comics, and it's too many. And I'm actively trying to kind of downsize it because I don't. No one has space for that. <laughs> no, you, you don't. And eventually, you have to sell them. You know, I mean. Unless you're like willing to rent, you know, you get to a point where you're like, what? What am I spending money on here? Mm-hmm. Um, like the physical ownership of these things, I'll never look at, you know. And, and mostly, you won't look at because they're physical, and you don't want to have to go dig them out and put them back in again. Yeah. Uh, so, like, just digitally, I can, be, you know, and I find myself rereading things more often because I can just go, oh, I don't have to even work on this. I just go boop, and there it is, you know. <laughs> That's true. I mean, that's for me to an extent. That was what kind of trades were was getting more trades because I was more likely to pick them up than picking up six single issues and taking them with me on my way to work because it's more work to kind of you know take them out, take them out of the plastic and everything, and read them. Whereas a trade is a lot easier. Plus, I love. Then you're that insane guy on the subway that's just like, oh no, the tape hit the cover, and <laughs> now I'm peeling it off, and it's hurting the value, and why am I on the subway with these? Yeah, well, I don't, yeah. I, I'm sure there was a, a day where that was me, but I've long since stopped worrying about it. Um, which is kind of nice and also sad that I've, I've gotten past that OCD perspective. Yeah, right. Like, because that's part of what fuels us, right? Like, we keep these comics in good condition, in somewhat good condition. We keep collections. I mean, there's there's something there's something there. Like, what is it about us that we need to collect these and keep them like this? Yeah, I mean, some be- I've gotten yelled at before because I buy all, I own every issue, right? And um, 
I've read every single one that I've bought. Um, and some people look at that and are like, what are you thinking? You know, uh, like you're, you're damaging it by reading it. And like, that's probably true, but if you're not going to read it, then what's the point? Um, I want the experience of having read every issue like in physical form, uh, you know, in my hand, uh, damage or no damage. I absolutely agree. And yeah, like I've, I remember when ultimate Spider-Man came out, like I had issue one, I read that thing. I wasn't. It was never about resale value. It was about, you know, do I like this comic? I'll keep it in good condition for me, but not for, not for anyone else. My um, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man comics, the first, like, 20 are so beat up because <laughs> it, it's what got me into comics again. And luckily they're printed on really nice paper, um, like not the pulpy paper that could dissolve in your hands um, <laughs> uh, like my issue 375 did. Um, but, uh, you know... I used to take them with me to high school like every day and I would read them in class when I finished my work and because um, I was always ahead uh, not to be humble brag or whatever like I would you know I, I would be reasonably ahead and just get you know my work done quickly and you know before you know it I'm just I, I think I've reread the first like 50 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man probably like 50 times holy crap um, I know those things panel by panel inside and out just because I, I connected to it on such a uh, you know they're high school it was a high schooler and I was a high schooler and um, I lost my best friend to a, a battle uh, with brain cancer oh my god and so like Peter Parker kind of became my like surrogate friend uh, through that and like man I couldn't tell you I read those books inside and out uh, and uh, I had been to sign my issue one. And he was like, what happened to this thing? And, uh, and I was like, I loved it. Like, what can I tell you? You know? And, uh, and he's like, I like that. He's like, <laughs> and he like drew a little picture on it. And I was like, okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, when you picked up Ultimate Spider-Man number one, was that actually like on the newsstand or at the comic book store or was it secondhand? Uh, it was, uh, you know, on the newsstand because I, my father had clipped out that article for me and I actually didn't buy it. My father bought it to me, uh, bought it for me, um, because my father's a pediatrician, and at the time he worked at this hospital across the street from my favorite comic book shop, and um, uh, you know, and that's where I got issue three seventy five. Was I went to the hospital with him, and he said, you know, here's a treat. You can go into the store and pick out a comic book to pass the time while I'm, you know, doing my rounds. And uh, so, you know, I got it from that shop, and then he came home one day and was like, here, check this out. You know, I, I had heard about it on the radio, you know, on NPR. And uh, you had read that issue. And I said, "Okay, cool. You know, I'll check this out." So, you know, I actually have been following Ultimate Spider-Man and the entire Ultimate Universe since its uh, initial date. And again, I bought every issue with the Ultimate title on it, except for Ultimate. I even have like Ultimate Adventures. Do you remember this book? Of course, I do. Yeah, like no, no one I know knows about this book. That was part it's of like this, uh, you decide. Yeah, it's like this weird Batman and Robin amalgam. Uh, in, in like the ultimate universe and uh, it had like what like two it had like five issues and that was it nobody's ever heard from these characters ever again no one wants to yeah right well it's like the um, the uh, the ultimate mar- uh, ultimate team ups like the first like 12 issues of that are like considered non-canon yeah um, because they feature like adult Fantastic Four and like it's a weird they version of Iron selling Man. the trades of it after a while because they were like, we didn't even know what we were doing. We we're just making this up. <laughs> it was uh, that was kind of a weird book. 
It was, and it had the introduction of the ultimate lizard in it. That's right. Um, with like this ultimate man thing story. So if you're reading Ultimate Spider-Man and the lizard just pops up out of nowhere and like we've met before, and you're like, wait, where? Where did you meet before? Isn't the whole point of the Ultimate Universe supposed to be that I have everything I need right here? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's very confusing. Um, and they never did have a real lizard story in in the Ultimate Spider-Man. No, I guess not. That's kind of weird. They had a Morbius story. They did it, and it's a great story. Uh, I might have to disagree with you there. Well, okay, it's not. It's great because the artwork is some of the best on on the series has ever seen. I'll, I'll agree with that. I did like. Uh, I remember it was around kind of. I guess the the nineties where I wasn't as interested in Ultimate. I still liked it, but it felt like it was losing something. And then the Clone Saga brought me back, which was funny to me that I. I there must be something about the Clone Saga, regardless of which universe, that brings me in. Well, this you actually got a good clone saga in this one. Well, yeah, it was, it was definitely a lot shorter. That's that well, as intended. Yeah, um, actually, what, what I wanted to mention about Ultimate Spider-Man is I remember being at the store when issue one was there, and I had the opportunity to buy that you know the white cover that was very hard to find, sure. and I just I was like, oh, I don't have an extra four bucks in my wallet. I'll pick it up next week. Nope. No, and one of the things I actually have one of the uh, the free giveaway ones. Oh wow, they're very common, so don't say oh wow that much. Well, I thought they were. Um, I didn't think they were as common as you thought, but they're fairly common. You can buy them for pretty cheap. Okay, um, but I had got an extra one because I remember walking through the mall and I saw because they were just they would just have them out in bookstores and Walmart and and um, Toys R Us just in by the hundreds. You know, not in Canada. <laughs> Maybe not in Canada, but in the U.S. they were everywhere. So, like, I, I remember just walking through the mall and seeing it, like, oh, cool, I'll grab another copy of it, you know? And uh, to be honest, my um, my uh, unofficial one, the freebie one, is in better condition than my uh, the actual one. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah, well, you know what? You, you can't choose who you love. No, that's true. Now, a question about um, when it comes to Amazing Spider-Man, it, does it need to be part of volume one to whatever it is in order to count as part of your completest kind of idea. The only reason I even ask is that there is a comic uh, Ultimate Spy- sorry, Amazing Spider-Man. I can't remember the exact numbers that they did, but there is a Canadian Amazing Spider-Man comic that came out in the 90s, produced by Marvel Comics, and I'm wondering if you have those. I do. I do um, international ones, uh, you know, I don't really consider... I have a lot of international comics, Yeah. Um, but if it's like no, that no. It needs to be like just proper, uh, amazing Spider-Man. Will I ever own that issue? Maybe. You know, like now that I'm done with the collection, it means finding more and more obscurities to kind of continue the collecting. Yeah. No. Because yeah. honestly, like it's it's some interesting stuff because uh, I'm pretty sure I don't know if Bagley did an issue, but I think he might have done one of them. Like they they were actually like official comics, like not just kind of weird knockoffs and stuff. Huh, that's very strange. Yeah, I, I don't, I didn't know about that. Um, I'll have to find it somewhere because uh, it was pretty weird. Um, I, I'm trying to find it. Anyways, it's not important, but uh, it's just I was curious if that would ever count. Well, then there's also the question, like you know, there's an ama- you can get an Amazing Fantasy 15 from Germany, and it's the same exact comic. It just has like a different monetary value on the cover, and you know, and it's worth a hell of a lot less. Hmm. Um, does that count? 
And I say, no, no, it doesn't count. So I don't own an Amazing Fantasy 15. And I've come across several, like, Canadian Amazing Fantasy 15 for, like, $1,000. You know, I say, like, well, that's a lot better than buying a $10,000 book. But will <laughs> I feel hollow and empty on the inside after I buy it? Probably. I don't know. I think you would. I would probably feel hollow and empty on the inside after spending $10,000 on Amazing Fantasy 15 as well. <laughs> yes. Um... I actually found one of the comics I was thinking of. It's called Amazing Spider-Man Skating on Thin Ice. Mm. It's uh, It's got a, a Todd McFarlane cover. Uh, it's script by Dwayne McDuffie and pencils by Alex Saviuk. Well, there you go. Uh, Alex is a, is a, is a, uh, a friend of the show. I was going to say, he's been on the show. <laughs> yeah, that is... So now that I'm looking at this issue that you're talking about, the Skating on Thin Ice, it looks like it's one of those anti-drug uh, comics. It has all these kids kind of looking at prescription drugs and cigarettes and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, I, there's a number of things. Like, There's, like, a, an issue um, in New York City where it has, like, the mayor talking about, like, hiring practices in New York and, and like, uh, and, and being safe in New York that came out, like, a few years back. And it has, like, Bloomberg and Spider-Man on the cover. Do you know about this? I don't think so. Yeah. So, like, I actually don't own that. Um because I had just moved out of New York right right before it was published. So there's a bunch of these kind of really obscure, like, they ha- say Amazing Spider-Man on the cover. But, yeah, again, if, if we're saying that those are part of the collection, then annuals are 100% a part of the collection. <laughs> oh, I figured they weren't. I just wanted to get talking about these weird Canadian comics. Oh, sure. This, these are great. I mean, they're, they're pretty weird. Um, actually, I, I found a listing for most of them now. Uh, so, I mean, most of them, I think the one I mentioned probably had the best creative team. Uh, Jim Craig did one of the issues that has, uh, I think the Montreal Expos and the Green Goblin. Super weird. <laughs> uh, the one I remember the most is because it was actually set in Toronto at, uh, at a Toronto, actually at, um, not at a Blue Jays game, but at the Skydome where the Jays used to play, where they still play, but it's just not called that anymore. Um, and it was called like Hidden Run and it was like a Spider-Man and Ghost Rider adventure. Super weird. Weird. And again, it was by uh, Dwayne McDuffie wrote it. So he was writing a lot of this kind of weird PSA stuff for the Canadian government. And I remember everyone had these because I think they were given out by the Alliance for a Drug-Free Canada, Right Riders Bicycle and Road Safety Program, and other organizations. We're going to have to bring you on to our team as the international Spider-Man guy. <laughs> Just to talk about these weird Canadian ones. Hey, you know what? There's an audience apparently. Sadly. <laughs> so I guess we should wrap up, but uh, what can we look forward to from you and uh, Amazing Spider Talk? Oh, so many things. We always got some uh, some stuff uh, coming up. We're going to have an upcoming interview with the guys behind Marvel Heroes, the um, the game. Um, we're going to be doing like a giveaway of some, some codes for that game, of Spider-Man-related content. Um, we have like our ongoing essential series where Mark and I continue to discuss each of us 15 of what we consider our essential Spider-Man comics. Um, really just kind of choosing weird off the beaten path quality stories that we like. That's what I like uh, about it though, because as you, as you guys kind of set out in your mission statement, you kind of took all the easy ones off the table and went for the kind of the, the deep cuts. And I actually find that more interesting as a result. Yeah. I think you're going to see some like fairly obvious ones coming down uh, the pike. Um, Cause we've kind of, been excited to show off our obscure 
uh, like loves. So we're going to start getting into more familiar territory, but that should be fun too as we kind of come up in the second half of this series. Um, of course, we're going to continue covering all of uh, the issues as they come out and the relaunch. It's a little slow right now, you know, with kind of the delays in the schedule thanks to like Secret Wars elongated time frame. Yeah. Um, which has been kind of nice because we get to talk about issues we really love, you know, and make cases for them. Um, but yeah, so we're going to have some like Comic Con coverage coming up as well. So some more creator interviews. Um, which we love doing. Can you tease um, anyone in particular? No, because it's we're still kind of um, it's still up in the air. We're still like solidifying things, but just know that like that's a real passion of ours. So you're going to get them, um, and we're going to probably try to space them out a little bit more, like after the con, so that you're not getting creator interview after creator interview. Um, I'm sorry, no, that sounds like a dig at my show. <laughs> no, no, it's totally not. Um, I just know that people want you know. Uh, since we've gone weekly um, and and we're on a more fixed schedule than we were, you know, previously, um, it means that we can kind of schedule a little more rigorous, rigorously about how you know when things are coming and when they're not. Um, so I, I hope you've liked the weekly move. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I I do a weekly podcast and I enjoy kind of having. For podcasts I enjoy, I like having more of them. So you definitely hit that category. There's some podcasts I really, really like, and I, I just I'm always waiting for new episodes. So yours is definitely one of them. Um, so it's nice to kind of have more of you guys. Great. Well, we like doing it, so um, we're glad that we have people listening like you. Um, so there's that, and then this actually has not been announced on the show proper. So uh, you know, I'll give you a little scoop, I guess, if you want to call it that. Well, this but we're gonna, to, to we're be, on, be sorry, sorry to interrupt. This will be going up probably on the 21st of August. So you may have already spoiled it by then. We may have, we may not have, um, but either way, we're launching a store on the website um, for all kinds of uh, t-shirts and baseball caps and all kinds of things like. For, uh, related to our show and kind of inside jokes about the show. Um, so Papa so Jonah? Long, if you're a fan, you'll definitely recognize some of the jokes. Um, I'm sure you can guess what kind of jokes are going to be making their way onto t-shirts and stuff. I'm guessing it has to be Papa Jonah. I'm, I'm not going to confirm it. <laughs> uh, so uh, keep your eye out for, uh, for that because I have an artist that's working overtime to create uh, some, I think, really awesome designed T-shirts. Um, so if you're so enjoy our show enough that you know we, we're looking for support, so we can keep doing it. And uh, the T-shirts are going to be a way that you guys get something cool, and you know we get to benefit and get better equipment and keep paying the fees that keep the site up um, and and keep our writers uh, creating great content. That's awesome. I have a one last question for you. Just to, and this is a, I think it's an easy softball question, but I'll ask it anyway. So the episode that you're on right now is actually number 298. So mm. what's on the cover of Amazing Spider-Man 298? 298 is Chance. Absolutely. I figured it was uh, an easy one. <laughs> and the first appearance of Venom, if, if you count it that way. Yeah, and isn't that also Todd McFarlane's first issue? It is Todd McFarlane's first issue, yeah. So uh, that's that's a softball. <laughs> yes, Chance, the weird mustachioed uh, uh, gun for hire. There was a lot of those back then. Well, maybe not with mustaches. <laughs> well, it was the era where mustaches were more appropriate. 
that's that's certainly true. But uh, yeah, th- those are great issues, uh, um, and and a, and a great debut for everybody's favorite crazy '90s artist. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. We really appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully we can have you back someday. It was really really fun, and and come check out our show, everybody. Absolutely, check out Amazing Spider Talk. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and uh, as I did say, you should check out Amazing Spider Talk. As I said, it's a great podcast, um, and Dan and Mark are, are just really enjoyable hosts, and uh, they talk about a lot of really cool old issues and newer issues, and uh, they've always got an interesting spin on things. That's not meant to be a bit of a pun, but I guess it could have been perceived as one. So thanks again for joining us for this uh, special episode, and next episode will be our reviews episode 299, and then after that, episode 300... No idea what that's going to look like. It's going to be good, though. Um, And thanks for... uh, If you've been with us since the beginning, good God, thank you. And uh, soon, we're at episode 300. Anyways, for now, we're signing off. This is Adam Chapman saying bye-bye.